Alrighty, welcome everyone. So this is Madeline. Uh, she also teaches LSAT. Um, Madeline, do you do this full time on the side? What's your overall like day look like? How many hours are you doing LSAT or yeah, law school? So I do this part time. I have two young kids, so I sort of joke that by weekdays I'm a mom, and then nights and weekends LSAT ninja. So just on a, do this on a part time basis, but. I will say, you know, most weekday evenings and weekends are pretty busy with LSAT stuff. Nice. Um, and that just kind of brings me to my initial question that I find I get asked a ton, which is what got you into the LSAT? Did you go to law school or did you? Yeah, also, great question. Um, I get asked this a lot as well. And I've not gone to law school. So it's been kind of a roller coaster of a journey. And I initially, I'm sure like many people in the LSAT space, got into tutoring LSAT by first taking the LSAT. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't taking the LSAT to plan to teach or tutor it or anything like that. But I took it in 2020 and I scored, you know, very highly on it. And which I had planned to do, I worked really hard to do that. You know, I wasn't really sure what or where or when I wanted to go to law school. But the way I thought about it was that I really can't go without this test. And it was a good time to take it in my life. So I took it and then um, my we added to our family. We had our second child and we've moved around several times. So I sort of underestimated the difficulty that would bring for going to law school. So law school itself has been on hold for a little bit while my kids just get a little bit older. We get a little bit more settled. But it was a really natural transition for me to start tutoring for the LSAT. My background is actually in education, and I have I had worked um, for a while tutoring English literacy, reading literacy, and English second language. So, and I always joke that the LSAT's essentially a really really hard reading test. So it was a pretty seamless transition into that. Yeah, I always tell people that the LSAT ultimately really tests two things, which is how good you are at English and then secondly how hard you can work because yeah. I find that very few people really score like a 160 or higher off the bat I mean occasionally you meet some like yeah. really good leader who just bombs games and does good on everything else but it's pretty uncommon I mean my diagnostic was a 151 and I got to the yeah. 170 in like two months so like it's very possible um but yeah so do you still plan to go to law school is that kind of what I was hearing or yeah, I it's one of those never say never situations um, I do still plan to go to law school. I do still have the goal to become an attorney. Um, I, you know, sort of just thinking long term here, I had my kids pretty young um, in my early 20s. I'm, you know, I'm still in my 20s. So um, I, you know, they'll be gone. They'll be out of the house. I, you know, will still not be super old. And so thinking long term for my career, I do want to make that happen. But it's something I'm taking on a year by year basis. Um, ultimately my priority right now is my kids so <laughs> right yeah and law school is not going anywhere I mean it, exactly. it, I, I, I'm sure you have the same thing where there's like I mean this time of year it's like very topical but you'll have like the 20 year old undergrad who has to go next year despite yes. having like 45 <laughs> yes. and it's like you can just slow down like one year or even two like, it doesn't matter yeah, it's um, a huge life decision I mean it's three you know if you're doing part-time it's four years of your life it's can be a lot of money um, and even if, you know, with um, with scholarships, there's still always hidden costs no matter what. And so right, it's yeah. a big, big decision. 
And I always say it's a decision you want to get right, even if that means taking a little bit more time. Um, you don't get, especially if you're early 20s, you don't get that time back, right? And you do, yeah. you know, law school, as you said, is always there, so. Yeah, it, well, it's so funny. The episode before this is with um a girl who's a Yale admin this cycle. Okay. And the cycle before, she had, like, gotten into a lower T14, like, somewhere in the 7 to 14 range, but it was a uh, at, like, full price or near full price. Mm -hmm. And she almost went, like, I still have an email from her when she put down her seat deposit. Like, I'm panicking. I'm just going to go this cycle. And now she's going to Yale and she's probably going to get like near a full ride because with their need-based program. So yeah. even listening, like you really should take a year if you have any doubt. It's almost always a decision. I don't know anyone who's regretted it. So <laughs> yeah, but no one ever likes to hear it. Like whenever I mention yeah. it, like their, their eyes just glaze over, like they're not listening. And I know it's just in one ear and out the other, but for the people that take it to heart, it's great. It's it's tough though, because I think especially, you know, for most people in undergrad at, you know, approaching the end of their undergrad career, there's just a lot of pressure about what comes next. There's a lot of that pressure is often external um, right. or societal. So it, it can be tough sometimes to deprogram a bit of that, that messaging. Well, and everyone you see like on LinkedIn, that's like, I guess, putting out like how well they're doing. Like you see like your friends that are like working in investment banking or consulting. And it's like, if I take another gap year to just stay at home and like study for the LSAT, I guess people feel like they're not getting things done, but it's such a right decision. Cause like in 10 years, no one's going to care. It's just not, exactly. but you will care if you have like a $1,400 student loan payment, just to Absolutely. serve the interest. So it, it's crazy. Um, But yeah, you said you took it in 2020. Did you take it during the uh like flex period when they were doing the weird three section LSAT? Yeah. So it was kind of funny because um I took it, that year, everything was so month to month. I don't know if you remember that, like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Of, of COVID, like, everyone wow. thought it was going to go away, you know, and then it did it. And so when I first was studying for the exam, I was preparing for that five, the traditional, like five section bonanza, yeah. right? And um, that's how I was anticipating it. And when they switched to the flex in April or May or whatever it was, I, they were doing it on a month to month basis. So I was still assuming I took it in August that, okay, it's the full section, like, or the full exam, five sections. And then they made that call, I think like a month before, or like right before the registration deadline that they were going to pull it to flex. So I did end up taking the flex exam, but it was sort of weird because I had been preparing for it as if it was going to be the whole thing. And then it wasn't. And so it didn't make a huge difference in terms of me having to adjust to it, but it it was a bit of a plot twist and then yeah. and finally going forward they were just like okay for the next year and a half we're gonna do flex they sort of gave up trying to do this month-to-month -month situation so yeah I also took it in 2020 so I also had the okay. flex yes. October and November so I don't know I, I didn't think it was that different I, I think maybe yeah. people that are like bad at the LSAT doing three seconds versus five it's like a nice relief but like the LSAT's just not that hard once you're in the like mid to high 170s so like you can have me do 10 sections like it's not going to be fun I'd rather not do it but like yeah I'm not gonna do that bad. there's trade-offs yeah. too because you know when there's fewer sections each question is worth a little bit more you can afford right. to make fewer mistakes so it's you have to weigh that that pro of a shorter test or sitting for a shorter test with um slightly higher stakes per question but again if you're adequately prepared it shouldn't be a huge deal yeah def well it does kind of I guess decrease or increase the randomness with a smaller mm -hmm. sample, you can go wrong. Yeah. You have one hard game or one reading hop you don't click with. It's more, it raises the stakes there for sure. Yeah. Um. Okay, nice. So did you just take it that one time in August of 2020? I did. I did. A lot of it was by 
design. I really did not want to take it multiple times. Part of it too is I was sort of in this reverse position where I wasn't even set on law school to begin with. I was sort of just right. taking the test and we'll see what happens. Whereas most people have the reverse mindset. They're like, I have to take this exam so that I can go to law school. And my position of not being on any sort of strict timeline, I do think helps a lot with just lowering the pressure of the test. And so I, I had the flexibility to really not take it until I felt comfortable. And I'm a big fan of what I call 11th hour registering, basically waiting to register until you feel ready for the test. And that's what I did. And I was able to score where I wanted to, and I didn't take it again. Now, of course, if I hadn't reached my goal, I would have taken it again, of course. Like it wasn't, um, you know, I, I joke that, oh, I was so done and I was never gonna take it again. Like, that's not true. If I hadn't gotten where I wanted to, um, I would have gone for it again, but my score that I got, I was happy with. I knew that it would open up a lot of doors for admissions and scholarship opportunities for law school. That was sufficient (laughs) for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we're actually score twins on my first take, which is kind of funny. Um, cool. you did go for a retake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I was already registered because, you know, LSAC does that thing where you have to sign up. Obnoxiously early. Yeah. yeah. They gave refunds for that one time and then they never did it again. So I, I'm pretty sure they do it for the money. I mean, yeah. like from my interactions with LSAC and they're, they're lovely people, but they, they certainly seem to pinch their pennies. Um, yeah. like I have to pay them royalties on my book per question, which like it's not that big of a deal. It's just kind of tedious because like, I don't sell that many copies and I still get invoiced like once a quarter but like hey yeah. you owe me seven dollars I'm like okay cool. <laughs> I oh, always joke like okay. people are like they're a non-profit I'm like so is FIFA that doesn't yeah. really mean that much <laughs> you know how much their CEO makes how much uh 900k so okay <laughs> yeah and, and then there's like another five or six people making like over 600 which is like I don't have an issue with people making a lot of money but like when yeah. it's on the back of like LSAT takers and like yeah supposedly increasing access it's a little questionable no Um, definitely I do think some of their business practices I mean a huge one is the registration deadlines being so far in advance that it basically forces a lot of people to register when they're not ready another issue I have is with the score preview oh yeah it's so silly that is a money grab (laughs) what's your take on score preview do you ever tell people to get it no I think I I don't recommend doing it because I mean it's just about score cancellation which I feel like just is if anything net negative there's there's so few situations in which it'd be worth canceling and I think the score preview is really preying on the insecurity that a lot of test takers would have about not like you know right after the exam you're emotional you're maybe feeling vulnerable maybe you feel like you maybe you know didn't do your best and you know but you can buy score preview and see what you did and make it all go away that's sort of how they sell it or you know okay maybe you didn't do as well as you wanted to not ideal but fine you you regroup you study you do better you crush it you move on and that's why I don't really think canceling is yeah well that's always my advice too which is like if you have 45 dollars to burn like sure go get it but if it means anything to you like I wouldn't pay for it because it's just not like there's nothing you can do with the information you really shouldn't be canceling a score if you're ready to take the LSAT in the first place um exactly and they can see like it doesn't cancel the attempt they you know yeah it's just to see so like I feel like that would just if I saw that on an application that it was canceled I'm just gonna fill that in mentally with a 120 you know like that's and I 
don't want to give some admissions officer that yeah you never want to leave room for interpretation it's always what i'm telling people in their like essays and stuff is like don't give them things to argue with like make it very clear what you mean um but yeah i, I do give a psychology of it though because they actually did introduce it when i was taking the test in october yeah and I did pay for it just because like I was psyched out and in hindsight, it made no sense to pay for it. Like it's a totally yeah. silly thing, but when you're an anxious test taker and you're just like, I can see my score before I know whether or not yeah. I have to Because it. it's stressful. Like, the LSAT is yeah. high stakes and they know that. And obviously the test takers know that too. And so it doesn't, I feel like they're fanning the flames with that a bit. Yeah. I'm just doing some quick math. Okay. So about a hundred thousand to 150,000 people take the LSAT each year. Assuming half of them pay for score preview, that would be about three and a half million dollars of revenue for them just from score Easy preview. Easy money. Easy money. Yeah. It's and, and what's funny, yeah. I'll 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 sack our goofballs, but but really lovely people. I, have you had much interaction with the LSAC folks or are you? I, you know, I haven't. I never for me when I you know took the exam and even since I've everything was smooth sailing for me so I've never really interacted with them but I have heard that you know especially if you get them on the phone like they do yeah. they are helpful um and I always say if people are having issues with their registration or whatever it is like get them on the phone they are pretty cooperative and if they're not just call again they it's sort of like a they're a bit like yeah. insurance they, the you know, it depends who you talk to <laughs> yeah yeah it's um yeah I'm not sure kind of what they're like they do seem a little out of touch with the LSAT world which I find kind of amusing they always like when I'm on the phone with them they always call it the LSAT I'm like no one says that you guys are alone and yeah even I say like a lot of people say like LSAC for like the the organization which is obviously that's correct but I'm like the LSAC like it's just so much faster to say yeah I kind of do it interchangeably um but I feel like with the LSAT it's really egregious because I just never hear that um I, which I guess technically it's not wrong and they are ultimately the authority of what LSAC it, or what the LSAT is but mm-hmm. I don't know, colloquially no one calls it that yeah um so okay so you took it in August of 2020 did you study for a while or how, how was your process from like starting with the LSAT to getting to yeah like really high understanding so I initially was aiming to take it in February 2020 that was my initial like timeline I gave myself and I actually started studying fall of 2019 but that was sort of take one and I wasn't really I was like reading some books doing you know maybe like five hours a week like not that much and my daughter at the time she was in between like dropping from two naps to one nap which if you're a parent is the whole thing and so I it was really hard to find a consistent schedule And then I also found out, you know, a month into that, that we would be moving in February of 2020. And so I was just sort of like, scratch this. I'm not trying to do this all at the same time and do a big move. Let's just put the books aside. I'll come back to it. You know, as I mentioned, I wasn't super set. I wasn't on any sort of timeline. So I had that flexibility. And I essentially just stopped completely for six months and didn't do anything else out related. And then I... COVID, of course, occurred. We moved. We got settled. There wasn't that much going on in the world. And, you know, we knew we wanted to that year try to have a or plan to have another child. And so it was this good opportunity to hit it hard and just get back into it and get it done if I really wanted to do it. So 
I picked the books back up, I would say in May, May 2020, and I probably gave it a good three and a half solid, like more intense months of studying. I was doing probably 15 hours a week, um, 12 yeah. to 15 hours a week. Um, that's yeah. my version of intense. I, I can't do these 20. Oh, I, I totally agree. Um, I probably studied maybe 10 hours a week and like probably not even. Um, that's yeah, I took a lot like, and my goal was always 15 hours, but looking yeah. back, it was really like 10 to 12 max. But also like I look at what a lot of people do as studying and it's like very mm -hmm. um, passive, which it's much yes. more comfortable to like read a book or like watch videos, but you really don't. And it's one of the things I struggle with because I run classes um, like Zoom meetings and we basically just do like live questions. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the issues with that is you'll find people where they're like, I get it. I'm like, you don't though. Like if you can't explain <laughs> it back to me, which I know, like, well, I'll do a question. It's like question 25 on like LR. So like, I know it's hard and like, yeah. And there's like 12 people and no one has a question. It's like, I don't believe you. Like, I don't believe that yeah. all of this makes perfect sense to all of you. This didn't make perfect sense to me for a few minutes. Um, yeah. So, no, yeah. There'll be yeah. questions where I'm like, I know I didn't get this question until the third or fourth time I saw this. So I know that, you know, yeah. most people aren't immediately picking it out. Yeah. So I, I find often some of my like highest scoring people have the most questions. Like they're like, I got the question right, but I don't understand B. And I'm like, that's how you really get good at this test is like, you figure out the intricacies of yes. what's going wrong. And that's the people in the 140s that are like, I totally get it. I'm like, you clearly don't though, because you're missing <laughs> all the questions. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, if people just embody that, because like, it's not a bad thing. It's very improvable. People regularly go up from like the 130s to the 160s or higher. Um, not that... I, I don't know like I always want to be careful in saying how well people can improve because it's so individual yeah. like do you get like, questions about how long it will take one person to study or stuff like that yeah yeah and I do people yeah people ask me like how many months or I see this a lot on social media like how many months should I study like yeah it depends you know someone may say oh well I took you know 18 months to study and you find out they're studying two hours a week I'm like okay well that's very different from someone who's studying three months pretty consistently pretty solidly showing up getting it done and and that's it right and even people that do show up and like do it like people do learn differently and for some yeah. people it just takes more brute force um mm -hmm. like I, I don't know I thought I was a pretty quick learner where like I got a 151 on my diagnostic but I was a goofball I took the whole thing in 45 minutes because I was like old as the kid in undergrad where like I'm turning my essay or paper in, or sorry test in first regardless of whether I'm failing it or acing it like I just get things done and so it was pretty like quick path to improvement. Um, but then other people, like I've been beat. I had one guy who went up 22 points in one month and it's like, that that's totally astronomical, but it's just mm -hmm. not common. Um, and then there's other people where you work with them for like a year and they're like still struggling to get out of like the high 150s. It's like, I don't know. It's so different. And people it want is. one size fits all like answers and they just don't exist. So yeah. Or people will sometimes make progress and plateau for a little bit. A lot yeah. of it sometimes can be mental too, or burnout as well. And, you know, there's a lot of lifestyle things to consider, or even just discipline. There's a lot of variables, I should say. And so it can all make it hard to, to predict. You're exactly right. No, no yeah. one is the same. And even, you know, when I say like, okay, I, when I got back into studying and it was about three and a half months, I had done an initial month or so of, you know, more low-key studying but it was still effort and I learned a lot of the concepts so when I got back into it I wasn't starting from scratch and so for me it was probably in total close to like four and a half months that I had spent studying so um yeah, yeah everyone's different
Yeah, I mean, my, my study schedule was really weird where I would study, I started studying the summer after my freshman year of undergrad, mm -hmm. and then I didn't touch them at all my sophomore year. Um, and my sophomore year is when COVID happened because I was yeah. like, I'm real, I mean, I'm not younger. I used to be really young, but now I'm 24. So I'm not that young for the space, um, which is kind of weird. Because when I started, I was 21. I got a lot of questions like, why should I trust you? Which I guess is like kind of valid, but um, but also like, I guess the only real qualification you have in the LSAT space is your score. And then if you can convey that to people because, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I, I think in total, I probably started like three to four months if you aggregate it, but it was like very on and off. And yeah. I used, I, I don't name the resources just because I don't always say kind things about them, but I used one of the um, book series of big books. Um, they have a religious um, name to them, not to like exactly no, name. I, them, I, I know, you know exactly what you're talking and about. I also not, don't use those materials. <laughs> they're not terrible, but they definitely have some, like they have a reading comp acronym. That's just the dumbest thing ever where you're supposed to be paying attention to like seven things at once. It's like, what are we doing here? Like read yeah. it, understand that you'll be fine. And there are some tricks, don't get me wrong, but like it's not, you can't boil it down to like, what's the structure of the passage? It's, I, I don't know. I find it to be silly. Um, but yeah, so, and so you took it in August of 2020. How long did it take before you started um, teaching or tutoring people? Like, how did you get into that? Yeah. So I started tutoring, I would actually say I started tutoring on a very small scale um, that fall, like a few months later, but again, very small scale I didn't do really any advertising or you know I don't say advertising but I didn't have any social media presence that's what right. I was advertising anything like that um it wasn't until the next fall I would say November of 2021 after we had moved again that I really decided to start tutoring more seriously it was an area of big transition in my life. I had had my second child and we moved when he was six weeks old, cross country from Florida to Idaho. I knew no one. It was really a challenging time in my life. And I was feeling a little bit, I don't want to say like lost, that's a bit dramatic, but I was like, what am, you know, what am I doing? I'm out here in this new area. I don't know anyone. I have this little baby and it was, it was just tough. And I really wanted something that I could be proud of and sort of take ownership of. And that's where I decided to put more of my time and energy into LSAT tutoring. So I created my website, created my um, social media presence on Instagram. And I would say that's probably when I really got into it more. So just yeah, and I will, ago. I will plug all your socials and stuff like in the <laughs> for anyone who wants to check you out. Um, but yeah, so that's fun. And do you do primarily tutoring? I saw you also do group courses, which is similar to my model. And you're on the weekends, so I can like shout you out without like being <laughs> um because I do like weekday evenings. But yeah, yeah, I have to do weekends because weekdays are are pretty tough um with my kids and everything. But yeah, I do I do I would say primarily one on one tutoring. That is what I would say is my my uh, specialty. Um, but I do group courses as well. That's something I actually started last year. So in 2022, and I do them about four times a year. You know, I say this having done it for one year and I had right, yeah. four courses last year, but that's about the the pace I can sustain with that. Um, so I would say probably like once a quarter or so is when I do those group courses. Because yeah. some people, you know, really like that structure and it is, you know, gives people accountability and something to 
show up to on a consistent basis and just to sort of jumpstart their journey with the LSAT, whereas other people really prefer more focused one-on-one. Yeah, definitely. So. I, I like the group course model just because you get more bang for your buck. I do think tutoring has yeah. more to it like per hour because you can really talk through some of the thought process figure out what's going wrong like you'll have some like reader reading compass you know they'll just like blow through two paragraphs without even reacting to it and it's like whoa like what what are you thinking? yeah the what's zombie the reading i call it <laughs> yeah oh, that's a good phrase i'll have to use that um <laughs> but i'm like did you not like react like they just said seven ideas and you didn't catch one of them um but yeah i was looking because i've worked with i mean i'm not gonna like say how many people but like it's got to be like i i don't do much one-on-one tutoring partly because mm-hmm. i I steer people away from mine because like I, I charge 200 hours I think is ridiculous too don't get me wrong mm-hmm. um but like I just don't want to do it otherwise and yeah it's just the the pricing I do have an issue with the tutors that try to get people to sign up for like 40 hour packages at 200 hours it's like you're gonna yeah. pay grand for the LSAT like geez um because I, I don't know my whole thing is like try to reach more people at I don't know not lower prices like I'm not trying to be budget LSAT prep but also I'm not trying to skin people because like yeah no, it's like it's expensive enough already that being said I don't think I've ever had someone pay more to me than they pay to like law schools and LSAC so like yeah. I'm winning that which is kind of crazy because like people are not like not paying me it's just I don't know the whole admissions process is crazy um but yeah so that's really cool and in your group courses um how like I guess how do you run those like what's what does an average day in class look like yeah so it's Mine are structured to be a little bit more, um, it's a combination of breaking down like concepts and what is essentially the content of the LSAT, which sounds kind right. of silly because it's not a content test in the, in the I way. I mean, there's that, a little like, bit, like you want to talk a about little bit. Yeah, like different questions. Like that. Yeah. Um, like what are they asking? What's a logic game? Like a lot more of that sort of instructional stuff. Right. And I break it down where we go through basically systematically the different sections of the exam. So we spend the first couple of weeks in the course on logic games, then we shift to logical reasoning. And then we do a reading comp as well. We don't spend as much time on reading comp um, simply because there's, it's, it's not yeah. as much, there's not as much to learn with that. A lot of it is just a lot of repetition a lot of practice now right. of course strategies there's there's things that can definitely help improve and and what i say optimize that section but if there if the fundamental comprehension isn't there it's it's not something that I yeah there's no tips like, and tricks and like, like okay <laughs> um comprehend better so we just spend a little bit less time on that section although with the logic games going away i do plan on re tooling my course a little bit oh definitely so we can yeah. get more into reading comp a little bit and flesh flesh that out more and speaking of that i so messed up with logic games i have created i recorded literally every single lsat logic game that's like ever been released oh, yeah. um, and made a whole zoom it, it was like my project of 2023 and really i would do it for like not an hour a day, but like a good it, it wasn't that much time like often because it doesn't take that long to do a game like maybe mm-hmm. five to seven minutes fully explained because like I, I like to think i'm really fast at games um I, I don't do worlds or brute for I, I kind of have my own method, which I always thought was like the intuitive method, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess people diff- well, yeah, everyone loves worlds, which I don't I don't like worlds. I it, say it, worlds are for Mario yeah. Party. They're not for the LSAT. Well, what uh, I find yeah, is like worlds will work on a few games and then on yes. other games, 
they're very useless. Like when you actually have a lot of variables and like slots, it doesn't help you because you can't make enough worlds to like adequately answer the question. Yeah, there's too many, um, I guess, combinations or permutations, whatever the mathematical term for it is. And you're right, there are certain games where worlds can be advantageous, but the thing is you have to know that it would be helpful to you. So right. that's where my problem is with teaching this as a method to learn logic games because most people who are new to logic games can't immediately recognize if doing that strategy would be helpful or not. They just assume it would and then yeah. it backfires when it's not. Well, I totally don't understand how it became like the kind of go-to method because I just find it to be so silly. I mean, and don't get me wrong, like there are some people that just teach like test A and then test B. And then it's like, well, you want to put some thought into what answers you're testing. And many questions, if you have a good diagram, you don't even need to diagram anything for the question. Like I can diagram maybe half the, like I'll test and answer like half the questions. The other ones you can just figure out by like making the inferences up front. Yeah. Um, but the world's people, they, or at least some of them, um, like one of the big companies, they seem to be like, if you're not doing worlds, you're just brute forcing them, which like, that's not the only way to do it. It's so silly. Yeah. I think we're just testing every single answer and that your way might not possibly be the best. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of arrogance in the LSAT space. Like, and I, I get it. When I was 21 and I started, I kind of was like, it's my way or the highway. Like, there's no other way to do this, which I don't know. That's a very like 21 year old thing to do. But then now it's like, okay, there's multiple ways to do it. I'm pretty anti highlighting or diagramming and reading comp, but it's like, if it really helps you, like, I don't care. Like, yeah. I, I think most people, it, they're just highlighting things they don't understand as an excuse for not understanding it. Yeah. But if you're doing it intentionally, it's like, hey, if you see the author's perspective and you want to note that, like, that's fine. I, probably wouldn't but like if it helps you like reasonable minds can disagree um so another question i have is do you there's a lot of kind of buzz in at least the lsat taker space about how the different prep tests are different do you teach from certain prep tests in terms of the numbers like the 20s versus the 70s or yeah. like how do you break those down that's a great question and i totally agree like people feel really strongly about this and yeah. i ultimately think you know all of the published practice tests are published for a reason they're all great quality and you know if you're aiming highly on this exam you know you will probably be meeting most of these tests at some point so I don't really right. think there's a huge difference I do tend to recommend like for full-time practice tests to pull from more recent but for me I define more recent as really anything after 52 with that comparative reading right um, yes, you know, the, the tests in the eighties and nineties, I probably would recommend save, saving those to be the closest one or the last ones you do before you take the test. They'll just be the closest thing to that test that you take, but it's all great. I typically, when it comes to learning the fundamentals and mastering the fundamentals, I like to pull questions from older exams, like twenties, thirties, forties. Um, because it just doesn't mess with those more recent tests. Right. If anyone wants to save those to do as full-time practice, which is really important. I don't like to tamper with those, so to speak. Now, some of the tests that are in the like early 90s, like teens tests, uh, there's some wonky stuff going on with the logic games, I think. Yeah. Specifically, sometimes the phrasing of LR questions, the way they ask them is a little bit different than they would ask them now. But I don't think that's a bad thing. I actually think it's helpful to expose yourself to that so that you're not relying so much on just yeah, like memorization of how yeah. exactly. Um, and that's why I actually do recommend that most people 
familiarize themselves with some of the content in the older tests, there are some different things that are going on. And I think it can help with just thinking on your feet, thinking critically, uh, being able to pivot and, and improv a little bit when you aren't immediately familiar with what's going on. I think a big issue that many LSAT test takers have is they rely fully on these, you know, um, strategies and, and protocols and almost, I don't want to say formulas, it's not math in that sense, but then they have a hard time adapting when they do something slightly different. And you never know when right, they yeah. throw you a curveball on this test. So sort of a long-winded answer um, to oh, your question. But, yeah. I very much so agree where I'm, I mean, the way I do it is in classes, I will use like 19 through like 40 for like various Exactly, levels. yeah. Um, just because like, I'm, I just pull random questions and like, I'm not messing up the sections. Not that I think they're that different. Like people talk a lot on like Reddit, which is just a terrible source of information about like how much things have changed. And it's like, I don't know, games are like slightly easier now than they were in like the thirties, but they're not like that. They're, it's fundamentally the same skills. And yeah. And I think it's good to practice yeah. those harder ones. Better to be over prepared yeah. and have it be easy than be underprepared and then they throw you just the weirdest thing out of nowhere it's unlikely but it could happen um and i think there's some really great high quality questions in all of the exams so yeah i mean if there's something to learn like i think i, I don't know like people seem to think like it's a whole different task it's like it might have changed like maybe five percent maybe i don't even know about that yeah. um but yeah, I have a very similar take, which is like, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, ideally take the recent ones if you can before you take the test, just because it's the most representative. But you could just study with like the 30s and 40s. And if you're scoring in the 170s, you'll do fine on the modern LSAT. Yeah, Other than I agree. which I guess if you didn't know how to attack it, um, I find comparatives to be pretty easy. Once people understand, you have to pick something both authors talk about. I don't know why people yeah. just have time getting <laughs> their head around that. I'm like, did author A talk about that? Like if you, they didn't, you can't pick it. They say both yeah. authors, but people yeah. struggle with that. Um, and yeah, that, you kind of got into the uh, question type stuff. Um, do you teach about the various question types or how do you handle that topic? Yeah, I, I do teach the question types, but I also think it's a means to an end. I don't like, and I feel this way with logic games too, when it comes to game types, where I think a lot of resources get so bogged down in identifying what type of game it is I'm like we right. don't get a point for this just like you don't get a point for identifying you know according to so-and-so book what do they call this type of question like that's not gonna get you a point on this exam right at yeah. the same time I think you know for many people especially when they're new to the LSAT it's a lot it can be overwhelming and the logical reasoning section specifically can sometimes just come across as all over the place because they're just even though it's the same thing over and over, it's just they're saying a new argument and then they have this question and it, it seemingly at first there's no rhyme or reason to it. So right. I like to go through question types to point out like, hey, this section is actually pretty formulaic. It's pretty repetitive. They're doing a lot of the same things over and over. And so I use the question types as a means to that end. But what's really important ultimately is that you're comprehending that argument that's what it all comes down to and i always explain yeah. these question types don't exist in a vacuum it's not like a necessary assumption question what or you know whatever some people will call it it's completely unrelated to a flaw question no in fact they're right. really similar and there's a lot of um conceptual overlap and so all of these question types i think exist on this spectrum rather than yeah. in a vacuum 
Yeah, I think we have very similar takes. This is us. <laughs> I, I have an LR question type approach today because I do feel the need to go over it. But I have yeah. this whole slide, which is like, first things first, like this is not the end all be all. Like figure out the argument, find what the problem is. You've probably found the answer. And then if if you're not getting there, then we have all this nonsense question type approach stuff. But I find that I have to say this first or else people are like frantically taking notes and like freaking out. Like guys, it's not that big of a deal. Um, mm -hmm. Like these things, like yes, technically there are ways to like, and there are questions where I think there are a little bit of intricacy to them. Like I do find people tend to struggle with necessary assumption questions. Yeah. The call, like, you know, which of the following like assumption does the argument author's argument rely upon? Um, but it's often just a conceptual thing where they're just not reading the words. It's like, what does our author have to agree with? What do they commit themselves to saying? Which is just a way of rephrasing what the LSAT's asking them. Like it's not like mm -hmm. it's technically new information. Mm -hmm. Um, but I yeah, I find people do. Yeah, overly focused. Like I find some people where they're like, I've learned all the question types. I'm like, what? But what's your diagnostic? Like, I haven't taken one yet. I'm like, what what are you doing? I'm like, you gotta dive yeah. in and like, get into the test or you're not gonna get better. Like you actually do have to get into it. Um, so I guess kind of going off of that, do you have any like hot LSAT takes in terms of like things that the overall industry tends to do that you dislike or anything like that? Um that's a good question. I think. In terms of the test specifically, I, you know, I could get into oh, studying the atmosphere around the test or the yeah. actual exam. I do think, first of all, I think most reading comp materials out there are just not useful. Like just yeah. do the reading comp. Um, I, whenever I, you know, make um, information on social media about reading comp, I basically, my number one tip is, you know, any strategy is useless if you don't actually apply it. And, you know, this is true for the exam as a whole. Yeah, but definitely. Reading comp specifically, it it sort of is um, a pet peeve when there's these, like, all these, like, books or, you know, like I, and let me read the book about the reading comp. Like, no, you yeah. need to read the reading comp. And then maybe go back to a book and you may find something that can help you or illuminate something a little bit more. But um, that section specifically, I feel like it's, it's something that, and, and I get it, you know, it's easier yeah. to sell stuff if you have material for it or if you have like a long, and I say this, you know, you know, you referred to the, um, the religious books, the yeah. religious and they have a whole book for the reading up range. And I'm like, ah, is yeah, this it's like 600 too... pages? Like it's absurd. Yeah. And it's like, is this really just to yeah. round out the trio? Like that's, that's where I, uh, I think of a little bit, um, in terms of the LSAT as a whole, something I really um, don't like a big pet peeve is like marathon study sessions. And, you know, right. sometimes I have people come to me like, oh, well, I saw so-and-so say, and so-and-so maybe might be like an LSAT resource or a platform or a tutor. Like, yeah, I know one uh, like, three hours right every day. Yeah. I, like, I saw one actually just yesterday talking about how like you have to do like two to four hours a day. I'm like, you could, but like, you definitely don't have to. That's so much. Yeah. And um, I also find when someone says, oh, like, especially on something like Reddit, like I studied four hours every day. No, they did not. I would bet yeah. money that half of that time was first of all, writing the Reddit post or scrolling through social media or, um, yeah. you know, doing as you mentioned, it's like passive studying. It's not like that stuff isn't helpful at all, but it's not, it's not studying. It's not going to contribute meaningfully to um, your goals, I would say. Um, 
but that's a few things that come to mind. There's definitely more that I could think of if I if I really get get into it. But what about you? Um, my big one's contrapositives. I think they're useless. Mm-hmm. I don't okay. think they add any new information. Um, basically, the simple way I do like the if like conditionals on logic games mm-hmm. because I think that's the one area where like you could argue that they can get you stuff is I write them as if then statements. And if you've activated your if statement, then the rule applies. But if you haven't, the rule just goes away. You don't even have to Yeah, that's um, true. Um, I would say, I always say like, yeah, if the if condition's fulfilled, I like yeah. to say like the rule comes to life. It powers up. Like, and then yeah. if not, it's powered down. I, I like contrapositives personally, but I'm also, my brain is just very analytical. I am someone who yeah. takes comfort in processes and systems. Very much a Virgo <laughs> in that way. Um, but I think they're only useful if you understand what it is. And I think the problem is people will just toss the term around. And I guess this actually, to follow up on your question, this is a issue I have in the LSAT space. It's just arbitrary terminology without understanding what it means. And, you know, this is where I get frustrated with a lot of the different LSAT resources that are out there because they all will use different names for things. It's almost like there's different dialects of LSAT and people yeah, will get like confused. global versus local. Yeah, and they're like, well, what is yeah. what is that? I'm like, it's the same thing. Like, it doesn't really matter. Well, what I, I have a is. few of those I use in class, but I always tell people, I'm like, this isn't actual LSAT knowledge. It's just what I call these as a way of simple. Exactly. Like, I call, yeah. I call the list question, um, like in logic games where they give you the first one, like what's acceptable. Yes. I call that orientation, which like I know that's not real. I just made that up. I just call it that. But yeah. I also tell people, like, you don't like, please don't write that down. That's not yeah. actual knowledge. It's just I use it as a like quick way of saying what question it is instead of saying, oh, it's the one where you have to like talk about which one is valid and you go through the rules. So yeah, I call but those, then they um, teach it like it's real and it's just not. So <laughs> I call those valid solution, which. Yeah, that, that I also say that sort of applies to any question. We're looking for the balanced solution, but I, I was also yeah. I was also I learned the term list question, which was helpful when I was studying. But when I started teaching, I'm like, this doesn't mean anything to me. This word, and so right. I'm like, I don't know how helpful this is of of a term. But that I would yeah. say is a big. The other um, one I'll say that some people focus on is teaching people how to diagram logic games. I'm like, I don't care how you diagram as long as it makes sense to you. Like, no one's grading your work. Yes. I probably have some like idiosyncrasies and how I write rules. And if it doesn't make sense, like ditch it. Like don't do it. Like, I'm almost telling people you're welcome to plagiarize me. You're also welcome to do it entirely different. I really don't care. Yeah. Um, it's like the deduction and the thought process. Um, but some people get really dogmatic. Um, you're are you in one of the Facebook groups as well? I know it's not as active. Like I don't think I've ever gotten any clients off of Facebook, but I occasionally post. Are are you in one of those? I think I've... I am, but I'm not really active in it. I. I dabbled a little bit in making posts somewhat regularly. Yeah, it doesn't really work, is what I found. Um, I just found myself frustrated by it. I found a lot of the, you know, a lot of the discourse. I, this is just a symptom of, I think, most social media. It sure. it loses the plot, I think. And so I, and I just personally don't like, this is really ironic. I don't like to spend a ton of time on, on social media. Um, and so I really don't go there anymore but yeah well and that's actually why I started the podcast is to kind of reach a different demographic of LSAT takers mm-hmm. or at least that was the idea um because I at least find that you get different groups of people from different sources mm-hmm. like the personal referrals I would get from like various people um tended to do well and Instagram has a certain demographic some of which do great 
but you also get a lot of people that struggle off Instagram. And I think part of it is because the people that are spending a lot of time on Instagram are probably not correlated to be like the highest LSAT preppers. Um, and some of them do great, don't get me wrong, but it's just one of those things where it's like, you'll often see people and it's like, like I asked for roughly a section a day of homework and the amount of people that don't do that, it like makes me want to bang my head in soul. It's like, I'm asking for maybe an hour of your time. Yeah. If you yeah. can't do that, like you're just not going to improve. Um, which like, don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating four to six hours. Like, I think that's absurd as well, but like, you have you to know, be consistent. The end, yeah. You know, it's, it's an hour. It's not crazy. Um, yeah. Occasionally I'll like call the herd of my Instagram following. Cause it does kind of get, I, I don't know. I get a lot of people that follow me that I don't think like agree with my LSAT stuff. They just follow it. Cause like I'm a larger LSAT account. Yeah. And then I'll say like, something about um, how if you can't study an hour a day, like you're not going to be a successful lawyer, which it's like a little inflammatory, but also the idea is, um, I do have to keep it a little realistic. Like my brand is not just like pump people. Like I I'm an optimistic person. I think anyone can succeed, but not with any behavior. And people yeah. seem to, I'd say like confuse those two. Yeah, um, I agree. And I think that's true for any area of life. Like any goal yeah. that you have, if you're really serious about something, there's that adage that, you know, you you find time for the things that are important to you and the things that matter to you. And yes, you know, we all have real life stuff going on we all have responsibilities whether it's school work families all of the above illness you know it's it's tough it's that's what makes the LSAT challenging it's it's not easy and no one said it was easy but that is really what the test is measuring it's can you yeah can you prioritize in that time can you prioritize it because that's what it's going to be like in law school it's going to be worse in law school I think oh, really yeah. Um, and... I posted the LSAT is easier than law school. And I got people arguing with me. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> it's like, do you have any idea what you're getting yourself into? Um, yeah. So sorry to cut you off. I apologize. But oh, um... no, but it's, it's, it's true. Especially I, I say this a lot of times when it comes to reading comp, because I think that's the section no one wants to practice. And when I say no one, I yeah. mean me, that was the section I would like stall on doing and wouldn't want to do. And once I realized, well, wait a minute, it's, the reading is just more volume and more density and less variation in topic in law school. So, um, which I don't mean to sound negative with that, but it's just the reality. It's, it's hard. And, and so um, the, another thing, I guess, piggybacking off when you say that the LSAT is um, not as hard as law school is when you have people that say, oh, well, the LSAT is not, related at all to what you right. do in law school I'm like okay but neither is like let's say the SAT or ACT a little bit more related I guess for undergrad but still there's a big difference and that's not that's not the point it's not trying to be like law school it's really measuring skills and and grit I guess for lack of a better word that's maybe not the best word choice but yeah because I'm, I'm I'd, I'd say I'm actually kind of a big LSAT defender in terms of its relevance not because I think like the skills one-to-one -one correlate. And I think at the top, they don't correlate that well. Like, I don't think all 175s are going to crush it in law school. I don't think I would do that great in law school just because I don't care. I think, I mean, I, I was also on the path of going to law school, which, I mean, how many people take the LSAT without doing that? But I kind of bailed out once I decided that I didn't think the law was like super sensical um, in terms of, I think precedent's the dumbest idea. Like, I just don't, it's like my legal take is like, it's like, I don't care what some guy said 80 years ago about this law. M maybe in like procedural stuff, it matters. And maybe this is just me being ignorant, but I, I find it to be silly. Um, And then the rest of it, just, I don't know. It's not for me. I, I kind of got into it as like a silly poli sci kid, not knowing what to do. Um, mm. But yeah, it's uh definitely interesting. Um, 
So yeah, do you still have to go in a few minutes? I have a few more questions, but if you have I'm like actually, a hard- I don't actually anymore. My daughter was supposed to have basketball, but it snowed and it's canceled. Okay. So I'm, I'm yeah, did you guys in Kentucky get hit by like that crazy? I- I'm in Colorado. We got hit by a crazy storm, but I don't okay. know. Okay. Yeah. Hard, we, but... my daughter has not had school all week, um, which okay, yeah. is excessive because we, okay. I get yesterday. Cause there was like a whole, well, you're from real snow in Idaho. Like you've dealt with actual. Yeah. Although, you know, I was in Boise, which is, this is, I don't know how to it is, but Boise, yeah. um, is really dry. It's kind of, really? kind of like Utah. Yeah. And so we got frequent snow, but it wasn't really high volume or it's less than you would think. Now the rest of Idaho is different, but just the specific value where Boise is. But anyway, um, yeah, it snowed Monday and the snow was gone by like Wednesday, but for some reason there was no school Wednesday and Thursday. I guess it was really cold. It was like 10 degrees, 15 degrees, which again, when I moved from Idaho, like that's fine. <laughs> that's yeah, cool. it's like fine. But um, I guess for here, it's a big deal. I don't know. I think people are a little bit dramatic. Like where I am in Kentucky is an hour from Ohio, which is basically Canada at that point. <laughs> like not, yeah. we're not really in the South. <laughs> yeah it's pretty wild um how different the country is with it like we were um in texas a little bit ago like two weekends ago and it was like gonna be like 30 and they were like talking about shutting down schools like what are you talking about like, it's not nothing like there's no yeah. water why it's gonna be i dangerous. guess it's all relative you know if you're not yeah, used to um, it or your infrastructure isn't yeah because like this past weekend it was um in the like our highs were like in the single digits which for colorado is really cold it usually doesn't get yeah. quite that cold um but like, it was fine you just don't go out that much you kind of just well, it's not that bad. Um, but yeah, it is all relative. Like, I guess humans are really good at adapting to like kind of whatever the norm is. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not to detract too much, but <laughs> how, how do you like Kentucky? Is it like you said you were in Idaho, Kentucky, and you're from the DC area originally? Like, do you yeah. all yourself staying in Kentucky or does that depend on all sort of external? You know, we like it. We live in Lexington, um, which is um I don't know if you're all familiar with there's basically like yeah there's only like basically two main population centers in Kentucky and it's Louisville and Lexington and they're like an hour apart and we're like an hour from Cincinnati um and so I like living in Lexington you know if you put me in the middle of like a farm in Kentucky maybe not so much but um I like this size city sort of just like mid-size a couple hundred thousand people Boise was like that too. Um, we lived for a while in like Greenville, South Carolina, which is a similar size. Okay, yeah. We lived in Orlando as well, which I thought was too big. Um, it's just too sprawled. I don't know if you've been um, or if you've been to like Disney or anything over there. Yeah, I've been um, to Orlando once. Um, not to offend. Florida is actually my biggest listener state. Um, <laughs> I, I, I didn't love Florida. I'm not trying to offend. I just found people to walk really slow. I got off the airplane. I'm just like, come on, guys. We have places to be. Like, let's move it. Um. It's funny you say that because I, you know, I moved, I grew up my whole life in the DC area, which is very fast paced, very bustly. And when I moved to South Carolina, which my family is from, my grandparents have always lived there and I'm really familiar Mm -hmm. with, but when I moved there, at first I was like, oh my gosh, am I like a bitch? Like, am I just so mean? Like I, everyone's really friendly and nice. And I really actually learned to appreciate that. And then when we moved to Florida, my husband's from there and I was not, I was like, I don't know about this. I was not looking forward to it. And I actually did really grow to like it. I like the beach a lot. I like the weather. I like the slower pace. Um, I did not love just like the suburban sprawl of Orlando, but that's most of the United States outside of, you know, a mega city. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have lived in a few places. It's really cool to see different areas of the country. Idaho was, it was really cool. I wouldn't say I'm, I'm not sad, super sad that we left. Um, I, it's not really my place long-term. I am not one of those like gung ho outdoor, like backpack for weeks. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm sure Colorado might have a little bit of that as well. <laughs> yeah, I think we're pretty similar to Idaho in that respect. Um, yeah, and you know, I don't, it's, it's, I, like, I like a nice hike, like, I like to ski, yeah. but I'm not, like, super gung-ho about all of it, and otherwise, other than that, there's not a ton to do out there, um, and the biggest issue I had is it's just so isolated, like, you have to either yeah. fly to go anywhere, or the closest drive for an actual population center is five hours to Salt Lake, which is basically yeah, Boise yeah um, um, um does Boise have a lot of um LDS Mormon folks or is it that does. it does it's I know Idaho's, like, yeah it does I would say um East Idaho is really more um LDS and Mormon and actually I think a big assumption that's very funny is that I'm Mormon because I, have, I actually like, thought you might be you kind of yeah. have a look. <laughs> I, I didn't want to like which is why I said LDS instead of Mormon because they get offended <laughs> When you say Mormon, yeah, um, I um, I, it's, it's a big assumption that's made about me because I think my hair color. I had my kids really young. Um, you're from Idaho, yeah. I I live in Idaho. I don't really drink a ton of alcohol, although I do, you know. So it's not um, yeah. I, I, I I will drink alcohol sometimes, but I have some characteristics in common. Um, I I don't I don't actually mind that assumption. You know, they're all very but there's worse. They're nice people. people. Yeah, um, exactly. Like but yeah, it is. It's pretty all that's ever been created. Um, <laughs> Mormons are like my special fascination because I grew up. Well, so I grew up. I was born in Tucson, Arizona, and okay. you know, being in the Western U.S., there's a fair amount of like Mormon. There's people. a lot of LDS in in Arizona. Yeah, and then in Colorado, we we don't have as many. But like, I I had like one of my best friends when I was a kid was LDS, and then in Colorado like they were kind of like the first kids like get married and like we knew a few of them and one of my buddies was Mormon which like he was like very rebellious and then he goes off to college and like meets a girl and like marries her and he's like 23 still um and they're like they moved to Hawaii it's it's wild but um but they're like my special fascination like most guys have like the Roman Empire or World War II I have Mormons I'm just like <laughs> I listen to podcasts I like read books about them they, they blow me away like I'm just so fascinated it is by really it. interesting I'm, I have you know I I do think it was really um interesting to live out there in Idaho I learned a lot about um I guess I don't know Mormon culture yeah it's a better term yeah definitely not too else I really other than I did have an LDS person in class once and we had an evolution passage and I was like I know she's LDS we're talking evolution what do I say here like this is uh this, you know, the LSAT touches on those various topics that are like kind of relevant um mm -hmm. they're actually very predictive in terms of like you'll be doing questions from like the 2000s and it'll be like something about like vaccines and like their efficacy and you're like wow like they're really good at picking like these kind of oh yeah i guess people were kind of talking about it back then not really not not like people have over the past couple of years um but interesting stuff because and i find there's do you find that there's ideological traps on the lsat where like if you're a super environmentalist or if you're like super like you'll they have trap answers that will like trick you in because it's something normatively that you would agree with but the passage doesn't support like do you ever notice that yeah, I have noticed that. I also have noticed too, sometimes what I say, because a, a big frustration that a lot of people have with either, especially with reading comp, but sometimes with LR, they'll be like, well, I don't know anything about this topic. I'm like, that's right. good. It backfires sometimes if you know too much about the topic, because then 
you when they're like what is true what is supported by the statements you pick something that you know is true because of your external knowledge about the topic and not because what right the argument or what the passage says i know it's a little bit different from more of those that, that's exactly. things but um, um it's so i i think it's just this general idea that it's so easy to bring in our own assumptions our own baggage to this exam and a big skill on this test is really working to separate that and leave all of that behind which is it's tough it's easier said than done i think yeah but but also i think it, it's a built skill like once you get yeah. burned quite enough times just by repetition matters. yeah exactly but you're like okay i gotta stop doing that um like i took an astronomy class in undergrad which was a mistake i thought it would be easy it was like a 1000 level class called stars and galaxies i was like that's cool i'll just show up and get an a I did, but like it wasn't easy. We had to do math and stuff, like calculate stuff. And mm -hmm. I learned a lot about stars, unfortunately. And now I'll see on the LSAT, they have their astronomy. They love space. They love and, space. There's certain topics they're obsessed with. they're consistently getting things like objectively wrong in terms of yeah. their like, premises, but you can't argue with premises. And people like, have a hard time with that, where it's like, it could tell you that the earth is flat and 5,000 years old and you would have to accept it for their purposes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. you don't, just because it's silly doesn't mean that it's um like not what they're saying. And yeah, people do struggle with that, which... Well, once again, like, I get how it's natural, but once you learn it, it's not that bad. Um, and then kind of going off into another thing, do you ever find yourself diagramming arguments on LR or doing any formal logic, or do you try to steer clear of that? I do occasionally, but I think, again, it's, I'm very visual, and right, yeah. there's, there's certain, there's specific situations in which I do that. Normally, always... I can predict like what they're going to ask, like what that question, it's almost always like a must be true or like a sufficient assumption question. And I will only do it if the language of the argument is so verbose and just, which yeah, I know, so me fun. using the word verbose is verbose, <laughs> but just so wordy, so dense, which I think is often by design. They're just, it's always for me that whenever the topic, yeah. I really struggle with these when it's like vague philosophy, like, one's values or ethic morals blah 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 blah. whenever they talk oh, about yeah. that I check out so fast I'm just like I don't care so when I'm in that situation um that's when I tend to diagram just because it abstracts it from the language and I can see sure. it very mechanically um and then I basically am like okay this is what the answer is supposed to be and I'll put it back in word form and then there's my answer right um, the formal logic stuff when I think like what you're saying is like the most and the sum with the on like those deceivingly short like must be true questions um where it's like some right. doctors are lawyers and not all lawyers are athletes I think that's an actual question where they're like the lawyers and the athletes um I sometimes do it really depends if if I'm not able to if I yeah. find myself getting confused with it, I will put it on paper. My philosophy is when in doubt, if I start to feel like I'm mentally juggling, I'll get it on the paper just so I yeah, have that clarity. But, okay, um, cool. Yeah, that's about my take on it as well, which is um, like, I find people tend to overemphasize it, which makes me like kind of rail against it just because like they'll be diagramming question two on LR. I'm like, this is not that hard. Like, just figure yeah. it out. Yeah, um, it's almost always like question 18 or beyond if I'm going to do this. Right. And I also try... Like some people will diagram parallel questions, which I can be helpful, but weed out the wrong ones first. I think there a lot of times just by certain like word in. Oh, there's so many or, things that you can there's so many things you can get rid of. Yeah, and then yeah, like, what I was what I always tell people for parallels is that there's three things that you can immediately use to match up, which are conditions. If they have mm -hmm. conditions that need to match, 
quantifiers, which are like most, some, all those on each yeah. as well. And then directionality, which I hadn't picked up. But by that, I mean, whether the conclusion, conclusion is like positive versus negative, whether it says yeah, we should. like should or should not. not. Um, and often just through that, you can get to the right answer. I, a lot I of times, yeah, more than you would think. You can, well, and then people really struggle on parallel flaws. It's like, gosh, just find the flaw. They're, like, you really don't even have to pay attention to the other crap on parallel flaws. If you can just find, like, this is necessary or sufficient. Yeah, almost always that's the flaw. <laughs> occasionally, they'll have two, like, questions that make the same flaw. And then there's, like, a, like a um, quantifier or something that you have to pay attention to as well. But mm-hmm. I find that often... Well, and I think part of this is because the LSAT to view it as so hard. People make it into something so much grander than it is. It's like, guys, they're not, I mean, they are trying to trick you in that if you're a goofball, but if you're doing it the right way, it's really not meant to be a trick. Like they are meant to make sense. So, um, but yeah, that's roughly my take on the formal logic as well, which is like, if you're absolutely spinning your wheels on like a must be true, let's just break it down. But generally it's just not necessary. Um, it's like a tool yeah. in the toolbox. That's how I like it. Yeah, exactly. You just, well, and that's like many things. Like people have like legitimate things and then they overplay them to a point i mean one of my favorite fun facts i i, I actually i'll say this when we're off air I, I have some fun <laughs> drama about um well i actually have a lot of drama in the lsat space i don't know i never start drama but like when people i have a and this is one of the things i've been growing on is like i'm trying to let things go more like i stopped posting on reddit just because people on reddit get in fights i'm like guys i'm not here to like argue with you but mm-hmm. people love their fights in the comments or reddit posts like this is not a good use of anyone's time, but you'll post yeah, something. I don't use Reddit. Oh, it's so bad. I just went there because it's such a big LSAT community. Yeah. Like, post something about being grateful. And like, that's the one I got to talk to. It's like <laughs> weird. Um, Out of all, because I don't, I post every day on Instagram. I've had some bad posts over the few years. Like you're just, when you're cranking out volume, you were going to occasionally, like I had one meme that a kid sent me once. Um. I'll show this to you after, but ones that are just like not offensive. Like I had one about affirmative action going away where I said, this was about December of 2022. And I said, Hey, affirmative action will likely go away. However, it's not that big a deal. Like, yes, there's a slight boost, but it, it's, it this isn't going to change anyone's chances like entirely. It's not as much as people tend to make it up to be. So like be a good applicant next cycle instead of like rushing to apply with the 145 of the cycle. And I didn't say 145. I just said like rushing to apply this cycle. And people got mad. They're like affirmative action is not unfair. It's like I didn't say that. I just said it's probably going away. Um, but often you find people. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I was just saying, hey, this is probably happening. Here's how you should react. Not I like I'm not gonna t- make a stance on affirmative action. I don't make stances on really anything publicly just because I think it's stupid to. Um, other than like I don't know, like there are some things I'll talk about, but I usually edit them out. Like um. Yeah, I'm, I'm just not even going to give an example because, like, I don't want to have to edit it out. It's a headache, too. Um, but, like, I don't know. No one cares about my political beliefs. I'm pretty boring politically, too. And I, I'm not that engaged. I find it to be bad for your mental health. Not that, like, I'm not a... I, I vote. I pay attention. But um, I'm definitely there's, not... There's, a, I think there's a, there's a fine line, I think. You know, yeah. it's, I, I have that sensation as well. And that this is why I don't like to spend a lot of time on social media because right. it could get really echo chambery. There's not really that much productive discourse anyway on, on a lot of social media and it's really it's really overwhelming and it's it's mentally challenging I think so yeah um there's uh there was something that I was gonna say that you had mentioned oh going on to how yeah you know I think there's a lot of discourse in not just the outside space but law school admissions as a whole Mm -hmm. in, in terms of like well this this is really unfair they shouldn't do this or you know talking about some of these decisions that go on like whether it's affirmative action or whether it's simply to have the LSAT or not or things like that 
and you know that's it's all interesting it's interesting to talk about it's interesting to think about there's compelling arguments you know potentially on any side of any issue but there's also the realities of the exam there's the realities of the situation there's the realities mm. of the process and you know it's I, I think it's okay like you can talk about this stuff or even complain about this stuff but it doesn't make it go away it doesn't make the you can complain about the LSAT that doesn't make it go away you still yeah. have to do it that's still the reality I think and sometimes the plot that plot is lost so to speak um yeah people will always find something to complain about if they got rid of the LSAT people just complain about all the rich kids with their like fancy internships and why they're getting yeah. stuff at Harvard now if anything I think the LSAT's like the great equalizer where no one can fake an LSAT score whereas yeah. like if you're a connected 19 year old from like the virginia area with like rich parents like that i know a lot of those people like yeah it's like those yeah. kids can take their way into harvard if the lsat gets removed it's like because often i find the people that most want the lsat to go away will be the ones most hurt by it mm -hmm. um whereas people that don't have like the i, I would say like, i had medium level like connection like my dad for reference my parents um my dad's a scientist and my mom's an accountant mm -hmm. so like they didn't know anything about law and like i didn't have anyone like giving me advice like i definitely didn't get good advice um in terms of like how to take the LSAT or anything so but you know who would get good advice about like how to game the system like all the little kids of like the fancy lawyers and they're gonna yeah. and right now they can't take it they have to pay some consultant to like squeak them into a t40 to pay full price um yeah but yeah I, I don't know I'm, I'm pretty I'd say I'm a pretty strong LSAT defender I've been pretty unconvinced by the arguments against it or, or at least like it's not perfect but I just don't see an adequate like there's yeah. just nothing or there's not else. there's nothing presented yeah I did like a little exercise on my Instagram last week where I created two pretend applicants and had all of their sort of information but no LSAT score so I had their GPAs and I had like their extracurriculars that are recommendations and one right. of the applicants was clearly one of these like Virginia kids I there's so much like throwing Virginia under the bus but well um, lots of <laughs> lawyers rich, yeah yeah like clothes, not but... first gen law student you know which is very much in familiar to that world right is the, the applicant's description was meant to clearly suggest that and then the other applicant was someone you know with you know first generation college student maybe working full-time to pay for school didn't have quite so strong a gpa but took pretty you know difficult classes and, and did well you know all of those things and I said, I was like, well, who do you think just based off this information is more likely to get accepted? And nearly everyone said the, the, you know, the Virginia kid um, applicant. And then I then added, okay, more information that wasn't shown, like giving more information that, oh, this applicant basically paid for everything is kind of not a great person, you know, and I don't mean to stereotype at all. This is not fair on my end. Right. It was clearly well, a caricature of an applicant, uh, yeah. exactly. Um, and then I said, well, who would now would you want to see get that spot? And then most everyone chose the other applicant, the, you know, quote unquote, less competitive application. And then when I added that LSAT score in with the less right. competitive application having that LSAT score, nearly everyone then thought that that person would get admitted. So it was sort of an interesting exercise. And I personally am so grateful for the LSAT because you know, my background is not super impressive. I did okay in undergrad. You know, I thought I did well, but there's yeah. there's objective well, and then there's law school well, and that's not the same thing. 
And I knew going into studying for the LSAT that I'd have to really work hard on it to compensate for maybe a less competitive GPA. And, you know, I gave birth to my daughter two months after I graduated college. So I didn't have embark on this yeah. career. I don't have, you know, work experience or, you know, all of these sort of extra. Yeah, without the LSAT, it's hard to differentiate yourself. Yeah, like... and so I'm super grateful for it. And I I know that if I didn't have that opportunity to take it or really show what I was capable of, it would be much harder to, I think. So Yeah, I think I'm in a pretty similar boat because, like, I come – like, I, I don't know, like, I'm from, I went to University of Colorado, not exactly a Harvard, um, pretty, in fact, it's usually in the news for, like, the wrong reason, when we are, like, during COVID, we had a lot of parties, um, which was our big thing, and then, yeah, I had a fine GPA, I messed up my freshman year, and got, like, a 2.9, but I got a 4.0 sophomore through senior year, but even that, like, I ended with a 3.6, so, like, without yeah. the LSAT, I would have been dead in the water for law school, at least for, like, competitive schools, um, mm -hmm. but it does give you a chance to, like, right the ship, and I, I think people just view it as an obstacle instead of the opportunity it can be, which like it is an obstacle, I guess. But also, mm -hmm. if you are like some pretty average background person, it is a way to like show like I belong and I can compete with these kids that mm -hmm. supposedly should have a leg up on you. Well, you can say, no, I'm better than them if you go get a higher LSAT. And it's awesome to see the people that do kind of take that to heart and improve. But yeah, I don't know. It's a mindset thing. I think like all of life is really mindset. Like, how do you view this thing changing or the obstacle and like I just knew when I sat down for the LSAT I, I like told myself like I'm not going to score below 170 and I just did it like I, it was just kind of a process which yeah. like maybe I'm lucky but I don't know I think if you're persistent like you really will improve and the people that think like 155 is their max I, I just don't believe them it's like you can go higher if you keep studying you might not get 170 but you're not gonna like don't apply with the 150 well you can apply with 155 and get okay outcomes but you probably don't have to so mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I guess other LSAT things, just because we're going a little long, I I'm totally fine because it's been great talking to you, um, partly because we agree on most things, which is always nice. We, we have a few points of disagreement, but 95% of the stuff. Um, what do you think about logic games going away? Like, what's your take on that change? Yeah, I've seen so much buzz about this and yeah. people have really strong opinions. And, you know, on a personal level, I'm bummed. I just really enjoy logic games. I, I'm nerdy. I will do them for fun. Like, I, I'm not, not, I mean, I don't sit around and do them for fun, but like after I took the exam, when they publish new tests, I will do it right away. I really enjoy them. I really like them. So I, in that sense, you know, I, I just think it's a bummer that it's going away. I understand why, you know, I understand yeah. it's, you know, I'm not, I don't disagree. I'm not here to disagree with that. Um, but at the same time, it is what it is. Like it's gone, they're changing it. And so it just, you know, I think so many people are like, ah, like I can't do it now. Or like, it's, you know, there's yeah. no more games. I'm like, well, it just, it, it's just how it's going to be. The test changes, things change. And I see this too, as I'm being a bit hypocritical. I personally, again, on a personal level struggle with, with change a lot. Um, <laughs> and so here I'm saying, oh, we just have to embrace it. And I recognize like that's easier said than done, but it's just the reality of it. I do think what is awkward about it is just, it's this pretty abrupt change. And so I think there is a lot of confusion, especially in this calendar year of 2024. Like, what do I do? Do I take it without the games? Do I take it with the games? And you have- Well, especially now. To do like, it and, yeah. Yeah, if you start sending now, like you have what, five months until the last- That was a pickle. Year? It's a pickle, isn't it? If someone's yeah. brand new, like if someone had has- comes to me and like they're like I've been studying since the fall or you know I've started studying and I've yeah you, know, you just keep going the fun fundamentals I'm like okay let's push let's get it done by April June right 
But if someone's brand new and has knows nothing about the LSAT, it's a tough one because, you know, it, I mean, five months till June, that's certainly doable for improvement. If, if you use that yeah. time, right. You know, it's, it's, there's no time to waste. And so that can put a little bit of pressure. It makes having to do a retake annoying because then yeah. you without logic games, then all that time you've put into games goes out the window so I think there's just some logistical frustrations with it that is just some of the growing pains that the test takers this year, not growing pains, but I guess the the waters that have to be navigated this year are a bit, um, it's just more annoying, I think. But yeah. Um, ultimately, I don't think, I don't think it will make the test that much more difficult in theory but where i think the big difficulty will be is that i think it's going to be harder to study for um because i think for many people logic games like is it's a break it's like the fun part i knew when i was studying i would like i would trick myself into sitting down to study because i knew i'd have a logic games waiting for me or logic game waiting for me and i just think it's it is a bit of a break. It's not, it doesn't mean it's an easy section. You know, it, you still have to be focused. You still have to be on. But in, in terms yeah. of the volume of reading, this mental stamina that goes into it, the mental focus, it's just a oh, little bit less. It's like, yeah. to like being critical and thinking, or at least I, I find logic games to be very formulaic, where if you just know yeah. them, you just do it. Whereas like with LR, I mean, it's kind of that way, but it's much like you have to be reacting. But and, it's very unforgiving if you miss yeah. one word or something. Whereas yeah. games, again, they they all build off each other. So you can go a bit more on autopilot. So I think that's what's going to be really difficult is like having to sit there for that test and do, you know, two to three LR sections and one to two reading comp sections. It's just very mentally fatiguing. And you have to practice for that and prepare for that. And there's no break of logic games and that that i think is going to be a tough part. yeah um yeah my take on it because it's kind of tricky is um i saw a lot of people kind of dancing on the graves of logic games which i found to be odd because it's like mm -hmm. i get that it's hard when you first start studying but i find it's the section that people come to like the most mm -hmm. I, I remember my classes as kind of a democracy where um i mean ultimately it's their time i'm just there to like run it but i'm like hey what do we want to do today because like we, we go through the quick lesson homework questions but then we just talk about whatever like questions they want to go through and logic games usually gets the most votes so i do have to kind of step in and be north korea and run a sham democracy for like <laughs> certain reading comp because no one votes for it but um yeah it's i find people pretty quickly learn that this is like very learnable it's kind of fun once you get good at them or at least to the point where like you're confident and you can see how the steps connect yeah um, do you think scores are going to go down starting in the i think in the top percentiles mm -hmm. they will um, I think that's where you're going to see, I think there's going to be fewer people in, I don't even want to say like 170 plus, I would say like 175 plus, there's going to be fewer people because yeah. I really think a lot of that 175 plus is carried by like perfect logic games. Well, it's even definitely like a lot of by the fact that like, yeah. you know, you're going to go in and get 23 points every yes, single Yes, exactly. Um, it's like, there's just less variability there. So, which, like, which can. Yeah, we're both good at the LSAT. I can take a section LR and miss a question or two. Like it doesn't mm -hmm. happen. Them, but like, it still happens and getting yeah. comp but with games unless i just completely misread the question or like mm -hmm. pick the answer because i tested the opposite and i still really picked the wrong answer i'm just not missing a logic games question so yeah. like what do you think a reasonable improvement is for the average person what would you consider to be like the minimum score the average person can get to oh gosh um 
I would probably say Savage Dressing, probably at least beyond mid 150s minimum. Like, at a, I would say at a minimum. Um, but probably higher. Like, but where I say the probably higher is that goes, I think, into factors that I can't control. You know what I mean? Like, whether someone right. sits in their seat and shows up to study or, or, you know, a lot of these external factors that the best tutor in the world can't fix, you know, unless they're like, um, following them around, <laughs> making, them, making them do it. Sometimes I joke like um, to my students, I'm like the single best thing I can do, for example, for reading comp is to follow you around in your real life and like have that like shame cone from Game of Thrones, <laughs> like making yeah. you study it and making you do it. I'm obviously joking, but no, yeah, um, but yeah, I would say on, on average, probably mid 150s at the lowest, but probably higher um assuming assuming some important things like consistent studying com like being dedicated um taking it seriously and i would actually probably say probably 160. yeah that, that's where i kind of fall down to which is i think anyone or at least anyone who's considering this as a field because i think there are people with legitimate like intellectual like differences in what their strengths are that can't mm -hmm. get to 155 but i think if that's you this probably is not the path for you um if you can't get yeah. to like 55 you should probably hang up hang it up um but i think most people with proper study can get to 155 and i find people that can't get there it's because of one of two things which is one they just aren't willing to do it which is a problem or secondly yeah. they cannot understand the english language which is like super a problem in which yeah. case you're just not going to succeed in this um test uh, it's something i also find myself saying which is like if you commonly find yourself finding words you don't understand on the lsat um and not the ones that they give context clues to because i'm always finding words i don't understand and then they define yeah. Yeah. Um, but if, like, if you're not, if you're seeing like the word altruism and you're like, what does that mean? That's probably a sign that you need to like increase your vocabulary because yeah. like, if you're going into law, like they love to use their big words. Like, I mean, earlier you said verbose, which um, <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of like not using complicated. I mean, in speaking, we do, especially if you're like reading, like these words just find a way into your um, vocabulary. But it's like the number one thing I find when I'm editing personal statements is like, guys, don't use that word. That's like mm -hmm. so long and no one knows what it means and I know you're trying to look smart but it has the opposite effect um yeah I guess kind of going off of another tutoring thing do you give out your phone number to your tutoring students or do you keep them on email I give out my phone number I do okay. have you um, had issues with that like with people not understanding boundaries or um no I haven't had an issue the biggest issue I would maybe say I would have is that people would message me at weird times but it's if that's one of those things I just ignore and respond to them when I is is my time to do it. I also am very like strict with notifications on my phone. Like I yeah. everything powers down after seven for the most part, unless I reroute it. Like I for me, it's just like a, a personal um time management thing. <laughs> I have to do that right, to, yeah. to have that. Um so I haven't I wouldn't say I've had I wouldn't have an issue beyond just like again, sort of weird hours, but I recognize that some people are more maybe traditional or old fashioned with what they consider. I'm very much like a work life balance. Like I yeah. am like a, you know, normal business hours is <laughs> when I, I prefer to, to do stuff, which is obviously I do a lot of my tutoring on not those hours, you know, evenings and weekends, but all of my admin stuff and like, yeah, like setting media stuff I like to do like yeah. in the, in the day or during those times. But it's not something I don't I don't really have like an issue with it. I don't get upset by it because I yeah. just will respond when I'm able to. 
Yeah, maybe this is like a personal growth area for me. I, I get so annoyed if someone texts me at like 2 a.m. I'm like, please stop. <laughs> I'm like this. And I, I stopped giving my number. I only gave it to a few people, but, mm-hmm. but all it took was a few people where it's like, please don't call me at one in the morning. I don't want to talk to you. Um, And yeah, may, maybe this is something for me because I just don't give out my phone number now. I, I just email people and mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think it works. M- maybe there's people that are annoyed by that, but I just don't like texting people. I, I find like having that personal versus like work break yeah like, I think I'm just the opposite in that like I don't like to check my email or I just tend to respond or get something done more quickly if it's if it's through my yeah. um, messages so for me it's just a little bit more efficient to do it I think sometimes you know I will have people text me at weird times but a lot of times it's a time difference thing like the oh, sure. specific time and so they'll message me at like 9 p.m their time which is a little late but for me I mean I'm asleep but then I'm asleep and I won't see the message anyway until right. the end, so yeah well I, I'm like I think I just stay really on top of my email which is maybe why it works better for me so I yeah. cross down to like zero um every morning and then like two times throughout the day so like I get back to people really fast through yeah. email whereas with text I just I don't know I I I have some horror stories which I won't go into because I don't think they're listening but they might be and like there's some people that I think ruined it for everyone um mm-hmm. and now I just have like trauma not not actual trauma but like it's definitely skewed me towards just not giving it out but it does seem like everyone else does um were you in the Facebook group when Scott was does this name ring a bell to you no that okay is- so I was like the most obvious LSAT scammer and the dude would um text himself in his own broken English which like it was very oh here here we go um yeah I just pulled it up he it's just it's so obviously fake and I I just found it to be amusing because like I never call people out even people I disagree with because I think most people are genuinely doing fine stuff but this dude is just like a straight-up scammer and yeah none of you ever work with Scott if you hear of a Scott um but funny stuff there do you think there's like kind of a minimum LSAT threshold people should meet before they become a tutor or teacher like I guess Um, I would say uh, I would say probably 170 or above um and you definitely want a high score. I would say at least 98th percentile, which I think yeah. that's 170. Maybe now it's a little bit higher, 171. Um, but just because, I, practically speaking, people who, that's what a score a lot of people are aiming for or want, you know? So you, it's important to have, to know firsthand what goes into it, what that looks like, right. how, how it happens. Um you know, I do hear of, of people tutoring with, with lower scores. And, you know, I, I do think having a high LSAT score and teaching and tutoring are not the same skill set, right? So, right. and it goes both ways. I think, you know, you can have someone who scored really highly, 180 even, you know, 179 and be- That actually gets me to the job I'm, I'm going to tell you about <laughs> after um, I- but, and, and, and tutor. And actually, I think sometimes those people- well, it's it, the worst tutors because nature. they can't explain it. You're yeah. like, don't you get it? Like, it's so obvious. And it's like, well, that doesn't actually help people. Yes, they've never had that experience, yeah. especially because oftentimes people who scored that highly well, if you start had a pretty high diagnostic. Like, exactly. Like, you haven't had to learn how to think about it and learn how to do it. Um, and at the same time, you know, there probably are some tutors out there who maybe have high 160s. And, and since having taken the exam, you know, and continuing to work with the LSAT, they've even strengthen their understanding of it and are really effective at communicating it. So um, I think 
you know, it's it kind of can go both ways a little bit. But definitely, I, I think it you, it has to be a, a high score. Um, yeah. I think I would, I would say ideally 170. Yeah, I have a similar take, which is like somewhere in the 170s. I think also like the free, well, I guess the free market doesn't do a great job because there are a lot of bad LSAT theaters. Well, you have someone got a 165 with perfect games and they want to help someone with games. I have like no problem with that. Yeah. Um, you occasionally see someone pop up as like trying to like start an LSAT tutoring like little business, which for what it's worth, most people like, you, you see a lot of people come and go. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I didn't find it that hard to like establish, uh, like to make it full time, but it seems like a lot of people struggle, um, which mm. kind of makes me, well, it doesn't make me happy that some people fail, but like there's some where I got into like a really nasty Reddit fight with one called LSAT Science and they were like dissing me like, oh, do you want to work for us? And now they're out of business. I'm like, yeah, that's what happens when you, well, they had posted from an alternate account they made pretending to be a student. And then I commented, I'm like, this is totally legit. Definitely does not read like an ad. And they commented with um their own account, but but as if they were the person that posted, I'm like, oh, you guys fucked up. Like you pretended to be oh, a student. No. Um, but they're really obnoxious. The guy actually emailed me, the founder of it, as an interested student when they first started asking for testimonies, yes. which is just like weird. It's like, why are you asking me? Uh, like, I, I find paying attention to other people or like competitors to be pretty not helpful, unless you're looking at like what people do that works. Uh, yeah but, I would agree it's like what's the point of that like instead just focus on your own yeah, focus on yourself well and also it's not a zero-sum game like yes there are a finite amount of LSAT takers but not compared to how many providers there's so few of us actually doing LSAT prep compared to how many people are studying for the test like it's not there's not a lack of people if you put yourself out there um but yeah I I find it to be interesting and uh, there, there are some that I have issues the, the issues I have tend to be the people that are more overly positive which kind of sounds bad. Obviously, positivity is good, but it can get to a point where like you're telling people that they can apply in like June, or like no, 150 is totally fine. Or like look at this person who got into um, like Columbia with like such a low score, which is totally fine. I think as long as you caveat that with like this is literally the only person that got into Columbia this year with this score. Yeah, because I see that a lot on on yeah. social media and TikTok especially. I'm not sure if you're on TikTok at all, but little, um... but try not to. <laughs> I, I try to stay. I've been thinking about posting on there I have a really hard time recording myself on a phone I just can't do it it's like I'm <laughs> really it's, it's so bad because like if I was like an LSAT student telling this to myself I'd be like get over it like figure it out I just can't I, I'll start recording I just like can't do it but but that's a me um, problem but I'll see sometimes like these you know TikToks where it's like oh I got into Harvard yeah whatever and you know with this stat and it will be like sort of an outlier statistic right of, of LSAT mm-hmm. and or GPA typically just one of those I think it's really hard to have low yeah. for not a lot of free no, 155s like yeah and and someone's like oh my gosh this is like super inspiring and awesome and you know that's great we should be proud of them like that's that's we want to always celebrate success right but at the right, same yeah. time it becomes problematic when people see this and they think oh this is the the rule well, they build expectations yeah, yeah. Like, oh yeah. i can do it and which is like maybe but probably not it's, um, it's just yeah that's why i always say you know for when and anyone is interested in going to law school the single easiest thing you could do is get a high lsat score and, and i say that's easy yeah. but i should say the single most straightforward thing you can do to just maximize your chances for admissions and scholarship is to get your lsat score as high as possible all those other things essays recommendations those aren't irrelevant but so often people will miss the forest for the trees yeah. and have to fine tune every small thing and then 
their outside score is just nowhere near where oh, I think it gets it definitely gets overplayed because like I think person statements and stuff do matter but not nearly to the degree people think they do like are you familiar with the index numbers that law schools use when they receive applications so the the index yeah the index calculation mm -hmm. yeah so this is like the mind blower that I think really puts the myth to death of like oh your personal statement matters but when they receive an application and not all schools do this but most do they take your LSAT and multiply it by a constant then they add it to your GPA multiply by a constant and that ranks you in their system and you've already been sorted into one of three piles based on that which is presumptive admits committee where they really look at you and presumptive denies so yeah. they already have an idea of what they want to do with you before they've even read your application yeah. and people just yeah I don't know the other thing I found is there's a lot of like Dunning Kruger with essays everyone thinks they have a kick-ass personal statement. Do, do you ever read people's like essays or? I do. Yeah, I do sometimes. Um, yeah, I, I would agree. Or I, I think it's a lot of people think that their story or their background is very unique. And I mean, yeah. statistically, there's 300 plus million Americans. <laughs> like it's we, there's only so much each individual person can due to the distinguish themselves even I'm guilty of this sometimes I'm like oh like I was sort of weird like I went to college and then became a mom right away like you don't see that a lot but like it's right. not that I mean it's it's not that uncommon it, you know it's um maybe not so much in the people that I'm close friends with or the the people that I I know well but it's not like my situation is super unique or rare either so yeah um well I I find that people I mean, there's a few things that people do that I find to be just like terrible. The big one is trauma dumping, which like, mm. I think if you touch on trauma very briefly and then use that as a springboard and then talk about like what you did about it or how you've like mm -hmm. overcame it, that's fine. But I'll often read a person saying, which is just two pages of trauma. And I'm like, that's horrible. I feel terrible for you. But like, this does not qualify you to be a law student. Like, yeah. like there's a lot of people that come through terrible things, but they're like illiterate in other countries. Should they come be a law student? Like, it's not... I also Based. think there's this misconception that people have, and this is maybe why people are doing this. It's yeah. like, you think you have to share these traumatic stories, you know, in order to set yourself up. And I really, that makes me sad that people feel like they have to do that. You know, I think sometimes sharing that stuff can be really vulnerable and difficult and you shouldn't feel like you have to talk about those things just to set yourself apart. And the reality is it might not even set you apart that much anyway, right. or, um, or it maybe is just uncomfortable to to read about, or uh, maybe that's not the best way to to phrase what I mean there. But um, so often I just hear people like, "Oh, if you if you talk about this horrible traumatic experience, like you're a shoe in." I'm like, "No," and and you shouldn't feel like you have to talk about that stuff, especially yeah. if you really don't want to. Well, the other thing is, I find that often they come off poorly often it sounds mm -hmm. just like you're complaining not not universally because i don't think there's universals in like admissions but mm -hmm. often it's just like complaining about the circumstances which like don't get me wrong like, I, I feel for people on a human level but just on an admissions level it's like you got to think about what the goal of the law school is and they're trying to com like compose a class of like kick-ass future lawyers mm -hmm. and bad things happening to you just does not fit with that it can if you talk about like like the, the example I always use is I worked with someone um, for free because it was the first year I was doing it. Like I wasn't gonna charge people when I was like, you know, before I had results because you want to make sure that like what you're doing is nonsense. And she wrote about how her house burned down and I'm like, that sucks. But then that was like mic drop. And it's like, well, what did you do about it? Did you go through yeah. the insurance process? Did you help your family move? Um, Like 
because if you can focus on all that stuff those are things that you can show yourself like taking action exactly like the resilience overcoming it yeah um practical action taken um yeah. those are all really then, positive attributes i still tend not to love the trauma essays mm-hmm. but like, but there is a right way versus a wrong way to do them and i find they almost universally fall into that wrong way um and then also i i find the like cheesy last paragraph of personal statements to just be so silly like that because of all this i will be a good lawyer at x law school i'm like guys law schools are not that dumb they know you're copy and pasting every law school into that mm-hmm. line and i find it to be interesting like I also find that a lot of people do admissions consulting slash essay editing. And I don't know if everyone's qualified to do it. Like I, I've seen some of the essays that people put out, even some of like the like most respected consulting companies. I'm like, that's a bad essay. Mm-hmm. And I, I do a little bit of like, I like I do free edits on my show where like in this podcast. I don't know. You said you listened to a few. I don't know if you could. I did, that. yeah. Yeah. Like I'll just talk through them and give my thoughts and be like, here's why I wouldn't write about that. Here's like, and like I'm trying not to be harsh, but also it's like talk through the thought process. I almost want to pull one of the ones from like someone else's site just because like they kind of um, throw shade at LSAT people doing admissions essays. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you may have worked at Harvard, but your essay sucks. So like, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just like don't understand. But some of these essays, like one of them was talking about how he was, he knew this like kind of special, like special needs girl. And it was about how, as he grew up, he left her behind in his city. And it was like his growth journey, but it was about leaving her behind. I'm like, whoa, I don't know if that's the direction I would have gone in about like leaving this girl behind who's like not as good as you. That's kind of an odd direction to go in when I'm like trying to convince them that like, you know, you're a kind person who's going to be like a good ethical and successful lawyer. Maybe you'll be cutthroat and like, I guess sociopaths can rise and law firms like that might be true, but probably not the impression I would give off. I remember I had three separate people come to me um, that were kind of upset because they had a someone and I, I you know I can, I can tell you about this later um an LSAT person who who also does essay review and essay editing had you know they charged an, an exorbitant amount to, to yeah, do their not essays for this. Like, and yeah and then they were kind of upset because they're like yeah I don't really like the final outcome but this person said it was good to go and so I'm like hey just send it over to me like I'll take a look let me let me see you know I'm not I don't I'm like, I never want anyone to submit something that they feel is not great. And so in all three of these instances, there are, there are some like bigger structural problems with the essays, but this is what really irritated me was that in all three of these that I looked at, there were three separate grammar issues, just like yeah, not in compliance with the standard reasonable. grammar conventions. I'm like, Look, how- One thing, but grammar yeah. you can't miss if you're charging people out of their stuff. Exactly. But- and that that's what really, really- frustrated me also if you just have grammarly which i'm always plugging in my podcast like you won't miss that you like you will catch mm-hmm. one without even trying because it just won't let you like yeah so. yeah and like i'm like this they were not like huge things but they were still there and you want you know if you're going to submit something to a law school this is a big yeah. deal you want it to be perfect you know you don't want even a small um typo or, or grammar like you, you don't want that and so the fact that an essay reviewer essay editor allowed three mistakes three separate times uh, that was really frustrating to see that and it made me really upset that 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 was happening um to people yeah it's it's definitely crazy um well I think with personal statements it's on at least with the LSAT we have this barrier of entry of like what did you score where like you actually can't see if someone's good at what they do with personal statements if you just establish yourself as an authority no one actually really asks you like before I 
I, I try to put a lot of stuff out there and explain my logic, which I find to be like the best way to, you know, try to convince people that you're good at what you do. But even before that, when I was just teaching LSAT, people would send me their pros and send me like, give me your thoughts. I'm like, I have done nothing to convince you that I have anything good to say, but just because you're in that position of authority where you have a large Instagram following or you're like an LSAT mm -hmm. teacher, people just assume you can edit essays, which like maybe, but also maybe not. And I find mm -hmm. a lot of people just seem to be doing it because it's a way to kind of capitalize on the audiences we've built, which like, yeah. don't get, if you're doing it well, there's nothing wrong with that. But I don't know. I, I see, I co-edited an essay with someone once mm -hmm. and like that just like, open my eyes where it's like wow like this is a because it was just a green stamp on everything where like people don't always like it was actually the fire essay for what it's worth and he was talking <laughs> about it's like a good thing i was like dude what are you talking about like she needs yeah. to scrap this or at least change the direction she's going in but because not everyone likes me telling them their topic is bad like it's not yeah. it, writing is personal like i i hate people editing my writing and i've gotten better at it but like i hated having people like look over my essays when i was in college just because like mm. One, I wasn't as good of a writer as I am now, but also it's just, it, it is uncomfortable where it's like when you're being critiqued, it almost feels personal. Like they're coming out. Yeah, it always is. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And I always look over people's personal statements. I mean, I'll just give like basic thoughts for free. I won't do like in-depth edits because it takes me a lot of time. It's like, Hey, if you just want like a thumbs up, thumbs down, like I'll do that. Just like sign it over. Mm -hmm. uh, and also I'm doing them free on air now. So as long as you're okay with getting blasted, you're welcome to send yours into my email then at lsasimplified.com. I do make them anonymous. So you won't like, but also like I'm kind of on a delay with my publishing schedule. Like I don't think this will come out until like early February. Um, I'll have to like go through and edit it, but I don't think we've had any verbal typos. My last one, I had to edit so much. And after doing that, it's like, okay, I'm not going to say things that I have to edit out because it took me like an hour to edit, which like it's fine, but I prefer not to. Um, so yeah, I, I've taken up a lot of your time. Do you have anything other LSAT wise or admissions that you would want to put out there before we wrap up? Oh gosh, I nothing that comes to mind. I feel like we covered a lot of really great topics, not just LSAT, but you know, law school admissions as a whole, even got into essays, touched on the logic games change. So I feel like we covered a lot of things. I'm curious, I want to ask you, do you have like a yeah. personal favorite section of the LSAT? Um, it shifts. Right now, I'm actually really, really liking reading comp because I used to okay. hate it. But yeah. I find, I actually am kind of interested in learning about the various topics. I find it fascinating because they're not things I would ever read about, like French sculptures. It's like, who cares? Yeah. I actually, because I hated them at first when I was studying. Like, it was my least favorite section too, but yeah. it's become interesting. I find logical reasoning to be kind of boring just because it's so formulaic. It's the same topic, the same kind of game that they're having you do. And it's not that it's hard. It's just that it's the same thing every time. And it's just like BS on the arguments. But yeah, probably reading comp right now, but it definitely shifts around. Um, and we'll, we'll see if that stays. So yeah, real quick, um, where can people find you if they want to do tutoring or reach out yeah, to you? Yeah, so my website is sort of my launching page. I offer free... 30 minute consultations for any prospective students. So my website is madelinejessen.com. Madeline is spelled M-A-D-E-L-I-N-E, -E, like the little French girl. Jessen is J-E-S-S-O-N. And then I am on Instagram as Madeline Jessen LSAT and TikTok also as Madeline Jessen LSAT. Alrighty, and I will put all that stuff in the show notes too. So yeah. if people just can like quickly click on yeah, it. Yeah, especially if you have um, any spelling confusions with my name. Yeah, and I would definitely advocate checking that out. Um, not, I mean, obviously, I like doing my stuff, but I don't like doing tutoring. So if you want to do tutoring, reach out to Madeline. <laughs> It'll probably, you know, be a better fit. And also, 
yeah, it's just, I, I charge too much. I'm self-aware. I know it's ridiculous, but like, I just don't want to do it. So unless you're willing to pay for it, um, don't pay me, which I totally advocate. I think it's a bad way to do LSAT prep. Well, at least my tutoring is. Um, so yeah, thank you, Madeline. And I will 